It has always been a goal for us to attract them online and then drive them to a store for an agent to help them. And a lot of for the reasons is for both ourselves and for the customer to make sure that they're getting the right thing and they understand fully what it is that they're trying to buy. Just because of what I outlined before is people just think like most people, you're going to go on line shopping like, oh, if you give me a choice for something cheaper, I'm going to take that one. And you might choose something with less coverage, but that coverage is not going to take care of you if you still owe money on your car. Welcome to episode 69 of Clicks to Bricks, the podcast about multi-location marketing. I'm your host, Rob Reed. My guest today is David Schwartz, and he's the director of digital and social media for National General Insurance. This is our first interview in the insurance space where brands have both a brick and mortar presence as well as independent agents who are effectively running their own local businesses. So we talk about these unique challenges and the most effective channels for driving local success. David Schwartz, welcome to Clicks to Bricks. Glad to be here. It's uh, long overdue for us. I think we've uh, it's probably about close to five years in the making. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> it's good to finally connect. Where are you actually calling in from? I am calling in from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Nice. Right. Nice. A lot of growth, I hear. Absolutely. That's one thing we have here is growth. Lots. And Californians, <laughs> right? Lots of Californians. We, we, have, we have a lot of transplants coming in from California, from my home state in New York. They're, uh, they're coming in in droves. So they're kind of taking point, over, huh? Yeah, A little bit. I think the welcome to Nashville sign in the interstates has said, thanks for coming, but don't stay. So <laughs> <laughs> Nice, man. So as usual, Let's kick things off on a personal note. So what's a fun fact about David Schwartz that most might not know? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, a fun one is actually, we just talked about I'm here in Nashville. I've been in Nashville for, oddly enough, approaching 20 years now. What brought my wife and I here to Nashville actually is that we opened up a clothing boutique. And so early in my career, while I was still on the agency side, was a owner of a retail store. It was a men's and women's clothing boutique, kind of uh, the first denim bar that we brought in, brought to Nashville. Really early on, we just spoke about the growth. I think we had a great idea. We might've been 20 years early. And I will say, if I only knew then what I know now, especially with what technology is available from a retail person, both from an in-store and a web experience, it'd be a whole different world. I may not be here talking to you. So I might, nice. I might so you ch- understand the brick and mortar world then from a single location perspective then? From a single location perspective, certainly, yes. And and it was later on in my career that I dove into multi-location retail across uh, a couple different business verticals that were in there. And I think the, that certainly framed my mind and have an understanding and appreciate that stress that you have. You try to find that great location. You have the expectation that you're trying to be with an anchor store. You're trying to have, you know, the old location, location, location. And that's awesome, except, you know, it's not always as easy as just that. Went into a storefront that was actually trying to be kind of like a Fred Siegel's with multiple location units inside of it. And mm, uh, we yeah, ended the stores up- within a store kind of thing. Correct. Exactly. So the shared traffic in it that you were trying to find the same customer base that was coming in, uh, we just certainly had the right part of town. And having lived here now, as long as we have, we knew we were in the right location. We just probably were a little bit early. And unfortunately, the other stores did not open or were as successful and did not really invest in the marketing. So at the end, it became us just having to drive our own customers and probably paying a little bit more square footage than we wanted to. But it certainly has led me to a lot of different conclusions that I have and understand the challenges that exist in this world. And at the same time, kind of glad that it's not my personal investment anymore. You're still running the store or? No, no, we actually got out of it right when we started having kids and it became, uh, fortunately, we kind of got out right before things that happened in like 2007 and eight when economy was kind of going backwards and luxury goods were struggling a little bit. So uh, got out unscathed, but certainly had some great lessons learned from it for both my wife and I and things that we've now used uh, later on in both of our careers. Actually, I mean, I didn't realize we actually had this in common because right around that same time, I helped my wife start a fragrance line. 
and it was like beauty products and it was actually sold through boutiques mostly in some apothecaries and we ran into the same thing the financial crisis you know totally destroyed the business i almost i felt like i saw that recession coming you know many months before the rest of the world did because like sales just started to drop off and it was like yeah. wait a minute what's what's going on here like yeah and then finally it didn't work out we fortunately just you know we learned a ton from it i learned a ton as an entrepreneur and just just running a business but yeah that 08 financial crisis did us in basically yeah it was interesting too i think um at that time for the work i was doing i was working in the agency world i had high end resorts and uh, restaurants at that time some more steakhouse and so if you remember if we go back to it that's when business travel really dried up and you had a lot of that challenge out there that people were questioning the impact of it and conferences and conventions and expense accounts. And then you had a good portion of our customers were pharmaceuticals and the restrictions that pharmaceutical salespeople had and what they were able to do. And, you know, just the tea leaves were there and again, uh, got out, got out <laughs> with minimal damage in there. And like you said, plenty of life lessons that helped drive certainly a lot of things down the road. Yeah, so it's, inter- yeah, it's interesting how that does that, right? There's really, yeah, there's no such thing as a failure. There's just like winning and learning. That's basically the two options, right? And we can say this after the fact. Sometimes it doesn't feel, <laughs> it like, doesn't it feel like it at the time. No, <laughs> definitely feels like you're losing. So yeah, so let's talk about multi-location marketing, but from the insurance point of view, because this will actually be the first for clicks to bricks. So I think right out of the gate, we need to properly set the table because unlike a a restaurant or a retail brand, you're talking about local agents in addition to having brick and mortar locations. So talk a little bit about how National General is structured in terms of the different ways you're marketing to consumers and and like what does your marketing ecosystem look like at a high level? Yeah, great question because it really is important just to uh, clarify kind of the nuance that exists in the insurance industry as a whole, especially on the auto side. National General for itself was a business based upon independent agents. So they sold their paper to agents who who worked it. They were required, those independent agents, to drive their own marketing and to drive their own business. And then National General invested in acquired direct auto. Direct Auto focuses on non-standard book of business. And that's really important of why when they made this acquisition into the direct-to-consumer standpoint, they also did it with having retail stores that were in there. So about 500 stores were part of that acquisition that was in there. And the reason that's important in a non-standard, and just to clarify the difference between standard and non-standard, a non-standard driver is a greater risk. And it's usually because of two factors. It's going to be driving record. And then the biggest one really is credit. And so that's a big piece of why you have the brick and mortar is because not only are we having agents in the stores who offer them the service of the exclusivity of working with somebody and to help support them in person, but it's also because we take cash payments. A lot of our customers, the majority of our customers are unbanked. So poor credit Uh in there. So this is really interesting and we'll dive into it, I'm sure, is how did things change for us? pre-COVID, during COVID, and then now what did we learn and how are we coming out of it post-COVID and how has that changed what our business mix is and how we really talk to our customers in the locations that we are and in the communities that we are. But that's really the big difference between a standard book of business and a non-standard. And that's why having it, and we've gone everything in the past with, you know, try to have cash machines that could take payments. And we had those in 7-Elevens and, and Circle Ks around town just to try to pick payments. That was doing it with the impersonal way to be able to do it to where we sit today with growth into Walmarts as well as some of the standalones that we have as long as, as well as strip centers that are in there. And really, it is just a big change for us over time of what I always believe is people don't go backwards. So COVID was really a big line of demarcation for us of how we figured out how we're going to talk about serving our current customers versus how are you going out there and attracting new customers and what our growth as we try to expand throughout the the US and what that looks like. So then under National General, what brands are you managing? You mentioned Direct Auto and then National General is its 
is its own brand that's being marketed? So yeah, that's a great. So the consumer facing brands are Direct Auto and a recent acquisition that we had, which is Safe Auto. Safe Auto is a non-standard book of business also, but they did not have the brick and mortar stores. And so that was a different model that they had that existed. National General really does not market to the consumer. It is only servicing the independent agents that are out there and offering them as they would other third-party products and stuff that are in there. They offer everything outside of auto as well. So with the higher-end customer and a more standard type of book of business, you're able to sit there and bundle home, bundle recreational vehicles, life insurance, health insurance in some standpoints. And so that's really a big difference that that is between the two. And so it's funny is when recruiter reached out to me for National General, I was like, I can't find you. I don't know who you guys are. And they actively worked that way to make sure that, you know, it wasn't, that's not who the consumer was touching. The consumer wasn't coming to National General for support. They were going to their independent agents. And then for the direct auto business, we're servicing the customers. So everything is being handled from sales to service to claims. Everything is being done uh, through the actual direct auto business. And so that is that direct to consumer brands? Is that mostly an online marketing and acquisition? For the direct auto business, it's three channels. So it is phone, store, and web. And so, um, you know, the stores are those like third parties, like, you know, through no, Walmart or something for like the, that. They're actually, they're corporate stores. Oh, so okay. they may be sitting in a Walmart, but they are uh, marquee and, and signage is all direct auto and the agents are direct auto agents. Uh, they've got to be licensed, obviously, that's in there. And some people, they'll handle some of the phone in the store also if they have the time. But if not, that's going to a contact center is going to support them. And then the web, obviously, is our largest growing channel, which got the help of both the advancements in technology and the change in consumer activity. But then also COVID kind of really forced them into it, where we had the challenge of how do you collect payment when you can't have stores opened? And people then had to figure out ways or customers, specifically who are cash only, how to figure out alternatives. And I don't think people go backwards, which has helped us from the web standpoint on our business. And then so National General does have offices or is it just purely the independent agents? It's just purely independent agents. They only have corporate offices that are in there that are just to house people. Okay. So, I mean, it sounds like you've got, you know, a, a range of different challenges. You're trying to drive foot traffic into these brick and mortar direct-to-consumer insurance brands, and then you're trying to support the local agents for National General who are you know, essentially their own independent businesses as agents, right? A somewhat point of clarity there is I actually really don't do very much to support the National General business at all. So it is the focus as one of the largest products within the National General portfolio is the direct auto. And so it is supporting the web sales, the phone sales, and then the local sales in the store, which are local agents that are the ones who, who are reaching out and communicating and supporting our, our customers, both from a sales standpoint, but then also a service standpoint. That's a great point then. Let's talk about your role and the scope of your role and and how that's structured within the the broader you know, marketing team at National General. Yeah, for sure. So I focus on right now more of lower funnel. So for me, it's performance media. And so performance media is looking like this is, and as this has evolved, it is awareness for us. And then it is also direct sales. Sometimes that is through either of the three channels that's in there. The growing channel obviously is the web channel, but through paid search, through aggregators, social display, you know, focus also on the user experience as it takes you over to our website and the uh, consumer facing side of it, as well as the quote engine that's in there as they get into the quote experience, which is a huge challenge for us because that's, you're asking somebody to, you know, go through a, a, about a, anywhere from a three to a 12 minute quoting experience online. So that's really opportunity where we spend a lot of time to work through the optimization of that. Every state's regulated differently. Every experience is different for every state, depending upon what your questions are, how you're filling this stuff out, how much autofill can you do as you have to do your rate calls to be able to sit there and do checks as everybody likes to say they have good credit and they have a good driving record. Well, we have to sit there and, 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 and do our due diligence to check that out. And so it's, you know, it's one of those things that's a challenge because 
I think the best way for somebody who's not that familiar with auto insurance uh, to realize it, and I think a standard customer doesn't change as often as a non-standard. A non-standard person, you know, might only stick with the carrier for three months. Incredibly high churn rate that's in there. A lot of it that they might lapse. Um, reality is, is that they are trying to do the right thing, but they've got limited means of what they're able to spend. And sometimes they're living paycheck to paycheck. So our busy season is really critical to us when it's tax return season and looking to try to get discounts for people and get the most affordable coverage for them when they actually have those th- that means. So we'll see spikes in our business certain times of the week, certain times of the month correlated to when they're paychecks come in. And that's just, again, some of the ways that we've learned to optimize through and how we've used data just to get a better understanding. For us, it's extremely transactional and it's a commodity and it's really based upon your price. But at the same time, we like to try to offer them that extended service and support, which we can do, which other brands can't, which is actually having corporate agents who can really help you. But I'd say this to people who don't understand it. It's like you ever buy life uh, health insurance and you're not really sure if you bought the right package, whether it's through your company or independent and you think you got coverage and you don't really know until the first time you get to the doctor or you go to the pharmacy and you're not really sure if you're covered. That's a lot of how our customers feel. A lot of them are first time insurers. They don't know what they're doing. The online experience is great for them. But they also may look just to do it based upon price and not fully cover themselves and protect themselves at no risk or no fault, depending upon what kind of coverage they take and what the state offers. And I mean, you can do a complete conversion online, but, you know, kind of per our name here, Clicks to Bricks, are you also trying to use online channels to convert to in-store? Very much so. Yes. It has always been a goal for us to attract them online and then drive them to a store for an agent to help them. And a lot of for the reasons is for both ourselves and for the customer to make sure that they're getting the right thing and they understand fully what it is that they're trying to buy. Just because of what I outlined before is people just think like most people, you're going to go on line shopping like, oh, if you give me a choice for something cheaper, I'm going to take that one. And you might choose something with less coverage, but that coverage is not going to take care of you if you still owe money on your car. And so some of the questions in the online experience are trying to guide the user to where they should go if an agent were there to support them. And there's chat available for them online also. But if somebody is really trying to do the right thing, they're better served. Start their quote. They could pick that quote up in a store. They can recover that quote and work with an agent who can explain to them and find out, do they still owe money on your car? How often are you driving? What do you, you know, are you at risk with this? And are you parking in dangerous areas and stuff like that, that might tell them how to be safer. And at the same time, try to find them something that's affordable for them that they can handle, but not leaving them too much at risk. So the store is a critical piece for us. And it really is a big piece where we're able to get better conversion rates from them because the self-service is nice, but it's just difficult if you're not familiar or comfortable with what it is you're buying. So let's, can you talk to me a little bit about the funnel in your particular challenge with this type of insurance and maybe kind of talk about a few different pathways? Cause I know you are, you know, we've had conversations before. I know you are an extremely data-driven marketer and make, you know, pretty much all of your decisions based on the data. So what does it look like from at any stage, if you want to take us from the awareness top of the funnel down to somebody walking into the store, or just maybe the bottom of the funnel portion that you really focus on, like what are some of the channels and touch points that are actually getting people to walk through the door? Yeah, sure. Obviously, we run traditional. So we're running TV, we're doing traditional radio that's in there, but they also are serving online video, streaming radio services from that. Those audiences for the digital touch points of the awareness and upper funnel It's driven based a lot off of the modeling that we've done of our user data. And that's a big piece of what we were doing and a big investment we made about four years ago, diving into our owned media and how to be able to use that to then sit there and do models against our lifetime values, our best audience and customers that are out there, and then trying to take that and finding them out in the ecosystem with, you know, safe, secure, tokenized 
use of our PII. That was a really big thing. So we were ahead of the curve from that standpoint, was proud to know before well, the CCPA came out and everybody did that. It probably leads me back to my old life of GDPR when I was working in Europe and to make sure that we had that secure and were protective of that, which allowed us to really feel good that we were using properly and safely our customer data to find more people who we were trying to find them when we were prospecting, whether in a new a new market, a new audience that was out there. And so that was driving from an awareness standpoint. And then we would sit there and use that same data that's in there to then how do we create the best customizable journey that's in there? How do we make sure that if we're getting somebody's attention and as they fall into the quote experience is the same offer or the same message that we put in there following itself all the way through. So a connected user experience that didn't feel like a bait and switch. We didn't sit there and tell you that this is what you're going to get, or this is what we can offer you, and then drop you into a journey that that had no symmetry whatsoever with what you were talking about prior. And so that was a huge part for us to be able to do just from whether it's dynamic content optimization stuff that we were doing from our display and social and, and search standpoints to be able to do. But all of that too, is just have a really good sense of what was catching the attention and then what was converting them and whether that was from retargeting or from people who are coming back into the cycle, because we knew that we could pause them if they didn't make the decision and they didn't make the purchase. We knew in about 90 days, they were going to start this process over again. And what we would do is mine out there for triggers of what was going on with people, indicators in what they were doing online to say, yeah, now programmatically we want to go after you. Are you all of a sudden starting, you're, you're reaching a certain age? Are you looking to move some of those life triggers out there that where people were more likely to spend, which then says they might be in the market again. Let's start spending on them. We did not have an always on mentality, do not have a huge marketing budget that we have that's out there. So we would really need to be pinpoint. And that's where we were going to target these people once they were hand raisers, once they were coming in and thinking about shopping for it, as opposed to talking to them all the time. And so that's, it sounds like a, a pretty sophisticated CDP then in terms of like, is that your customer data engine that's, and so like all of your awareness efforts are to basically try to get people into the CDP. So then you can start doing these, Absolutely. these journeys, right? So no matter what that channel was, traditional online, get them to an owned asset to then be able to put them into what would be our remarketing funnel that was in there and knowing where they're in there, get them to the site have an understanding of why they came in, what drove them into it, and then chase back after them when they were ready to do it using what we knew originally drove them to the site with interest. And so, you know, for specifically if it's a certain product or if somebody is looking for minimum coverage only, state minimums, that we have an idea of what they're trying to do at that point. And also not trying to sell them everything at that point because they're just looking for it and it's really a price-driven thing versus somebody who is looking to learn more, looking at how to save or what discounts are available would be more open to hearing about other products and understanding more about what's available versus somebody who's like, I just need to be legal. And that's a big difference about this customer is you know, our biggest competitor really in this industry, and I'm sure most non-standard carriers are the same, it's really no insurance. It's not necessarily yes. the other competitors. And so like, this is where we have, you know, we have great empathy for our customers of understanding they're trying to do the right choice. Price is always going to be a barrier of entry for them, but those who are active and looking for it, you know, they're looking to get insured. They want to do the correct thing. It's just, it's expensive. It's not, especially for this audience. Then talk to me about like search and social as channels. I think those both kind of fall under your role. How do those perform for this market? And what are you doing that you know might be effective in those channels? Yeah, it's a good question. It's in there. I would consider socials a little bit more of a mid-funnel. So it does play a little bit of that awareness until you get into that retargeting off of that. That's at the point that there is good conversions in there, but this is an opportunity in, in social versus search where we can share a little bit more information. We can run videos, we can have infographics, we can have more statistics and stuff that's in there and be able to help give them a little bit more understanding of what it is that we can do to help serve them. Whereas search, it's the bottom of the funnel. They're ready to do a transaction at that point. You know, we will use search also for the locations and will be whether it's like local marketing or local ads through Google or other browsers and stuff that are in there. But I, I think it's at that point, they're ready to convert then. The social really gives an interesting thing is where we can play along with them a little bit. We have people that we stay engaged with longer in social than we will with any of the other channels that we have. 
And just because it's more of a sustained on presence that we have, we don't turn so social off, whereas we will be on and off with some of our other, all of our other media channels throughout the year, depending upon the time of the year that we're in. That's very interesting. And then so inside of social is, I'm just going to guess that like Facebook, the actual Facebook property versus the ecosystem is probably one of the bigger channels within social for you for this audience. It's, they're, not on, um, they're not on TikTok and Snapchat. No, it's or are they? so TikTok is a, a new emerging one for us. The challenge is to get them into, and just again, a lot of the security and some of the concerns that corporations have on TikTok, especially as you're starting to get into transactions. Then you're sitting there, if you're taking credit cards or you're taking payment or something, you're going to have some bigger challenges. But again, from an awareness standpoint, like our customer is, you know, 23 is the low end of it. We're not really looking to ensure new drivers. Most of those new first-time drivers are going under their parents' plans or something if they have it. A lot of risk in us going into that customer. So 23 is kind of the low end. So it's kind of a sweet spot now for us in TikTok. And so it's a good place to do. Like everybody else, I think you're trying to figure out what's the right way to be there. Are you how how do you have a presence that's there? How can you be relevant and cutting edge at the same time? We are a very regulated industry. And that's a big difference between my days in retail, my days with restaurants or dining categories. It's extremely regulated. And so we have to be super protective off of that. There's only certain partners that we can sit there and work at from a third-party tool. So that's another piece. So you're regulated not only as the industry, but really at a state level. So we've got to have documentation of any kind of complaints and things that are out there. So entire social response team that's handling the stuff that's in there. So those that are a little bit more volatile with comments and stuff are a little bit more nerve wracking for us. <laughs> Instagram's a good channel for us. It's I, I would tend to think that people are a little bit more positive. They're upbeat and it's more emoji responses versus just you know railing on everything in your life. That's the reason why you can't you know pay a bill or why you weren't qualified for it and stuff that's in there. So social has been a good space for us. You know, Pinterest is an interesting one for us too, because from an awareness standpoint, a lot of people who we target are like do-it-yourselfers, people who are going to go change their, their own oil and change their wipers and do a lot of things. So it can be a lot of educational videos and stuff that we'll put out there, try to um, attract their attention with the do-it-yourself type of content that we do that then aligns with them. And so that's been an interesting one for us. They've been a good partner to work with. Yeah, it's always a battle because it's, you know, I still think social is depending upon the industry and you're still questioning, understanding legitimacy of what it is. Our friends at Meta are not the most transparent with the reporting that comes off of it, which always causes challenges is in there. So that's always a constant debate that's in there. That's why we really sit there and look at it more as being a mid-funnel awareness and a way to engage and work with our communities that we're serving. So when you're doing all this social, you've mentioned, you know, half a dozen different channels. How are you tackling the content creation and the creative challenge for all of those? Is that agency or are you guys handling that in-house? Yeah. So we're actually doing a lot, uh, most of that in-house now. We might have some partners that we outsource from a production standpoint. That's a great question because it really is the challenge, right? I think we've all learned now you need to have content that is specific for the channel that you're in, for the social network that you're in at that time. It's got to look organic. It's got to look real. Then you have the challenge of how do you also make it look corporate and it passes all of your legal and compliance challenges that are in there. And so it it's not, I've got a video that's running online. I'm just going to resize it, right? And it's like, it's not the right format and it, things get cut off and you got your phone number on there or your whatever. And it's just, it's just not working that's in there. And so I think a big part of that for us is it's trying to do a little bit less instead of doing more and trying to find which is the right content that we have that can be repurposed and it can be resized and reformatted for, for the network that you're trying to do it on. But then also like, what are we trying to do differently and is it an awareness social channel versus is it going to be a conversion channel down the road? You know, Instagram's an easy one to be able to put out there where you still have the act, the ability to do static and then still video. It's just a nice tight format that you have. And the other piece of this is obviously the majority of this is happening on a phone more so than it is on desktop. So how is it looking and how is it being formatted the correct way? And what are you asking these people to do? 
Um, and so like, it's a challenge that we have throughout. It's a, every month we're sitting there working on our content calendars, figuring out what the right way to do it. Not everything is going to work across all of our networks that we're playing around in. I think TikTok's an interesting one and it's just popular right now. And it's just a one to have a little bit more fun. But if you ever are a user on TikTok, it's really blatant when it's somebody just trying to sell it to you. So you've got to still get to a point where are we offering anything of value to this user? Is it just information? Is it savings? Is it general, just a, a warning for you to be out for? Is it just making a connection and, you know, building a friendship and giving them a reason why they should follow you, right? Because I'm not so sure. And listen, I know every marketer out there in school was like, I want to work in insurance because it's super fun and it's super awesome, <laughs> Right. Nobody is going to social sitting there being like, I want to sit there and learn about like insurance rates and how to be able to get myself covered. Like, so the other thing is challenging, right? Like, it's awesome. I used to love taking food shots and do things in the restaurant world. And when you're working for a retailer and you get to have somebody wear some clothes and make it look great or tell you how to pair some outfits together and how to complement it, or if you're going on a vacation and you get to show some really beautiful pictures of a destination or somebody relaxing on a beach, that's a lot easier. It's a lot cooler shoot to be on also. Right. But I mean, like, so it's a difficult thing to do. And so I think education is a big piece of what we're trying to do, but do it in a fun way. How can you raise awareness of the concerns? You don't want to scare anybody, but you also want to let them know the dangers of not having the right coverage. What happens if you're not insured? What happens? Oh, great. We have the app now that has your insurance card on you. So you're never caught without your insurance card. So you don't have to get busted that way. So, I mean, you're trying to do that in a way where at the same time, it's valuable for the brand, for what we're trying to communicate, but really looking at it through the lens of how are we creating something that gives this user something more than they didn't have before. It could just be a laugh. It could be a date on a calendar that they have to look out for of when they when they can get insured or when they can get a better discount or a deal, what might be available to them, what questions to ask to try to get some discounts. And so like that's a challenge because it's not an overly fun and creative product that we're selling that's in there. And what's different than anything else is everything I else I you know shared before from restaurants or retail or whatever it's, we're not selling a tangible product. So you can't sit there and hold it up and say, hey, look, this is what you can have. You're selling something. And what's always difficult about insurance, it's something you never want to use. And it's just, it's an umbrella. Um, it's nice to have, but if I use it, I don't, it's something bad happened. So you're not like excited and nobody's like high-fiving their friend or you're like doing a shout out and say, I just got the best rate ever, or I just used insurance and it worked. You know, you're frustrated. You got somebody, hopefully nobody got injured, but, you know, an accident is not a positive thing for anybody. There's no winner in that situation at all. So it's an ongoing challenge for us. And, you know, some of the new mediums give you some different ways to be able to play around with it. And it's something so, I guess, unique and important that you decided to take it all in-house. Yeah, we brought a lot of stuff in-house. And I think that's just the way that as an acquisition company, as we acquired more brands, it just made sense to consolidate that stuff. Uh, the other thing that it offered us to is one of the things that we're expanding is how to be able to let our agents in the stores, how can they have a voice and stuff that's out there? And so that's a new program that we're starting with that we've kicked off this year. We have our area marketing managers that are out there and they represent a region, sometimes a state, depending upon the size of it. And so now they're the content creators that are out there. So we've been working with them, training them, giving them tools and guidance of what to do. And this content is going to look different than the corporate content that we're putting out there. This is going to be more of highlighting the agent's invitations to come join them when they're out in the community and they're at events, having them come stop by a booth, trying to bring some of that experience that's happening in person and how to be able to showcase that on a format where they still have an opportunity to join them, follow them, meet up with them as you're telling them what's going on. But at the same time, it just broadens that reach for them, just gives them another outlet and another channel. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the local agents because that does seem like a especially unique challenge for an insurance brand. You mentioned, you know, the regulation of the industry, <laughs> the fact that it's really not that sexy and that, you know, it would seem like, you know, what you would do is just basically give them 
your content for them to push out. So it's actually, it's pretty interesting to hear that you're actually training them to create their own content and push it out. But where do they actually push that content out? What channels are they using? Are they corporate channels or are they personal channels or some combination of those two? Yeah, that's a great question. That's been some of the challenges that's in there. And so we have created uh, corporate owned channels for each individual manager that's out there. Reason for that is because of how heavily regulated this is, and we just needed to maintain ownership of that. And important to be because of that regulation, you have to document every comment, any complaint that goes on has to be sent back to a state. And so we have to still have eyeballs on that. All of the content they would submit to us and we would approve, it would go through compliance and a legal check. And then it'll be a creative person and a brand, a person from the brand team that would review that. So they're going to create the content and submit it for approval. And it's going to be able to scan for, you know, bad negative words or any triggered words that we may not be able to use. You know, they can't talk about, we can't talk about as a publicly traded company. You can't talk about your sales. You can't talk about your performance. You can't talk about things are good or bad as far as business is concerned. And so, you know, that is a safety layer that we have to have. The content really about what it's trying to do is is really trying to build that local piece to it. And so we do want it to come from them. And there is going to be regionality to this. They're going to have things, you know, living in the Southeast for our states in the Southeast. Well, it's a college football is going to be a big topic of conversation. You might be talking about spring practices in certain states that you would not be talking about in others as they get out. And again, how are you connecting to this community? Where are they reaching them? What are they doing to be part of what's going on? You've got bilingual activity that you're trying to do in, in certain states also. And so you're going to offer up uh, Spanish language in particular for some of the states that we have. Our managers, we have many agents that are bilingual and almost every store has people who are bilingual that are in there to be able to so- support, which is another value of having the in-store opportunity. But so you're really trying to make it look, it could be things about What's, you know, food that they like or, you know, what are you eating? What do you guys do for Super Bowl versus what somebody might do, you know, food wise in a different part of the country and stuff that's out there. And it's really trying to, it has, it's less about the corporate message. It has to be part of the brand, but it's coming from, these are the people you're talking with. And one of the things that's, that I love, and I was just, just on the road showing some new people, some of our stores and meeting some of our agents, they know people who walk into the store. These are people who might be making multiple cash payments throughout a month. They have a relationship with them. They know their family. They see them on a regular recurring basis. And that's a big piece of it to not only play up the managers, but the personalities and get some reviews from people, some tips from the agents, just invite them and say, come in and say hi to me. I'm at this store. I'm going to be at this event. And you know that's just a little bit different way. And that I think is a good way for you to use social and just Still, you are have corporate governance, but there's a little bit more of a personality to it and a soul to it for something that we, we admit, readily admit is not the most sexy and enjoyable thing to be selling. And so what pages do they have access to on social then? Yeah, so that's a good question. So we have, I touched on this earlier, I did hint towards it. It's Instagram that we released them with first. And the reason for that is... I think it's an easier one from a content standpoint, and it's a little more simple for them to be able to create it. But then also it's more than anything, it's a safer, nicer environment for us to get off and kind of build some positive success from it. You know, Facebook might be one we'll go back and do later on. As soon as some of these other ones are compliant, we might get into them a little bit more. LinkedIn is not really, you know, it's a place where they would be able to post as themselves as opposed to a new created account. But at the same time, our customers are not necessarily on LinkedIn. So they might just be posting to build relationships with the community that they work with. It could be auto dealerships. It could be people that they get referrals through or the chamber of commerce or just some relationships that they might talk about from an event standpoint, but it's not really talking to the to the consumer like you would and how we kind of handle it on Instagram. You've pointed out some principles that you know pretty much apply universally, where the brand has the national message, the national reach, creating national awareness, but you can do so much with a local representative who's in the community, can be talking about the local sports teams, and just what's happening in their community 
that will resonate and just increase engagement and conversion just by those factors, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the plan. That's the hope is that a part of this that was helpful is that there was interest from the field. The agents wanted to do this. They wanted to have a way to do it. They've been asking for a while. For us, it's just been waiting for the right platform and for us to be comfortable from both a human resources standpoint and from a legal standpoint, just from a liability of that. And social is is a double-edged sword because there's the immediate and realness of it, but there's also the panic and fear because of that, of how quickly that can spiral out of control. And so really having guardrails around that stuff to make sure that we are starting off easy. We're not trying to be too creative. We're not trying to be, you know, we certainly, the way we put it is we want to be conservative. We want to be safe and we want to be simple to begin there. And it's just a friendly conversational place for us to establish a connection And more than anything, it's just raising some awareness, but doing it in a happy, positive way. That's why there's certain places we just have to stay off of. (laughs) It's just like, you know, we're going to stay off of Twitter. We're going to stay out of those places where it could just be toxic and and challenging for the brand. And I say this and I joke and I really poke fun at it's the difference of like maybe a review on Google versus kind of Yelpers and what you would get from Yelp. And like, you know, the people who were the Yelp reviewers used to feel as if they didn't bash the business that they went to, then they weren't doing their job versus I think people and users who are on Google are giving helpful information. They're being honest. They'll tell you if it's good. They'll tell you if it's bad, but they're not feeling as if their opinion is more than anybody else's and that they are some expert in giving you an opinion on a product or a service that's being offered out there. So well, I apologize not, not, not that you mentioned it, but like are responding to Google reviews something that the local agents can do now? That is not handled by the local agents. It is an important thing. We actually have a different group of dedicated people that are on our social response team that are handling that stuff. And that's because of the regulation that exists that's in there. That's not something we want our agents to do. You know, if they're in the store, if they're on the phone, that's a different situation. But if they're coming through commenting on Facebook or a different platform, that's not going to be handled by the individual agents, nor are we going to ask them to handle that in this program we're running right now either. We don't want them to have to be able to defend or respond to anything, especially if it's getting into anything around a quote, claims, pricing, anything in that regard. It's not really what we're trying to do. And, and that would be that would just be where I would see this becoming a negative for us if that's where we're going to get. It's We're not looking to open up another channel for people to to vent. And again, that's the risk that you're taking that's out there, but really trying just to create another place. And to be, I think like we all want to do is we want to have a presence where our customers are. And if they're spending time on these platforms or on these channels, we need to make sure that we have a presence that's there. We don't have to have it perfectly worked out, but we do want to make sure that we can offer it to them in the same way we offer the three channels of sales is which one is more comfortable for you. You don't have to stay in the same channel the entire time. There's a lot of migration that somebody could start on the phone. They could then go into a store. They can start on web and then they get to the phone and they start on the web and go into the store. Any number of those variations that you have, because this is, we want to be available and we want to be able to offer the service that they expect. And, you know, I think that what, Where brands get in trouble sometimes is when they, I think they score or grade themselves just within their industry alone. And it's one of those lessons I always like to give is that it, you know, a consumer doesn't change their expectation because they've changed verticals. (laughs) And I remember this back to my day when I was first doing online ordering apps in the restaurant world. And this is for a, a family dining concept that it was in. I come in kind of new to the job and they're showing me their online ordering. And I'm like, how come every layout isn't desktop? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, do you ever order food online? Like, yeah. I was like, do you use your phone or do you use your computer? And like there was, and this is, this is going back 15 years, right? Right. Yeah. Back then, but much more, but still, yeah. still phone was important, which was the future state. And it's like, it's harder to build it in phone. It's, so building in phone and it's going to be fine on your desktop, but why would you start with, 
you know, the one that is not where the trend is going. And it's like, well, you know, our competitor is like, well, is that all you're looking to do is to compete and match with your competitor? Are you trying to be where you where your user and your customer is going to be? And so I think it's a tough thing that we do is that we compare ourselves against the competition. You're graded against yourself in the competition, but at the same time, that's not the way of consumer. And that's a big piece of what difference for the business within National General of servicing the direct-to-consumer clients versus those who are independent is we've got to stay cutting edge to what the expectation is. And like COVID has completely changed the way that people have done post. And like I said earlier, people don't go backwards to the way they used to do it. I don't think if somebody is used to getting their news on their phone and they love the real-time nature of that, that now they're waiting for the Saturday evening post to come out and they're going to get their news for the week at the end of the week printed. So, you know, we have to stay on the pulse of what the audience wants. We want to try to stay ahead of the competition, but we also want to take a look at and grade ourselves against what the best experiences are that are out there. What is the best type of service and how can we be present and how can we try to hold ourselves a little bit more accountable into a higher standard than just, you know, matching what the competition might be doing. Great points. I want to shift the conversation a little bit to some career advice because, you know, you've been in a number of different industries and a number of different verticals actually in multi-location. So what advice uh, would you give to someone who's, you know, maybe I mean, coming out of college or coming out of internships and they're they're looking at their first role in a marketing organization? How are you advising that person uh, right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I may have a different of opinion of this, and that might be because I have jumped around. I think it's important to work in different verticals. I think it's important to work for different places. I think, you know, some of the challenges you get when you're internally and you're only looking in and grading yourself is that you lose, you lose track of what's going on around you. And so I think it's important for as, as much opportunity as you can get. I, you know, I, I don't know where people stand with internships these days. And I think it's a challenging thing that we have now with people being remote is how can people get an understanding of what's going on. But I think it's like dating is that you need to sample and see what's going on out there. You know, don't fall too in love, especially if you're working in marketing with any specific channel or vertical that you're working from a funnel standpoint, because it changes so much. And I think that you can always use and apply those things that you've had other experiences. If you're working in offline and then you move to online, there are certainly lessons that you can use and you can apply. I think the more diversity that you have that's out there, I think the better we are. The same way that you're trying to get diversity of people who work in your business because you're serving a diverse clientele or customer base, have diversity in what you're learning too. Is It's great to be experts. It's great to have an area that you focus on, but I think you're going to be better if you have that to be able to compare from other things that you've worked in and not just get to be too tunnel vision and say, I'm going to work in this industry on this type of business, handling just this media channel or something. And so, you know, I don't know if everybody would agree with, with that, but for me, I think it's important and people that I have on my team is I want them to continue to be aware of what's going on, even if it's not something that they're responsible for at this time, just be able to just have as many different touches of what's going on throughout the business and to just, and across these different business lines. I mean, the business senses are the same. The challenges are going to be unique. You get a better worldview, the more things that you see and experience. So, Is there a good reason to start in the insurance vertical versus any other vertical? It's a great question because I, you know, I think everybody used to say in advertising it was cons- consumer goods or packaged goods is what everybody wanted you to do, and everybody was focused on doing that first. I, I think one of the advantages that you had, and it was why we made some of the investments we did a while back, is in insurance you have a lot of data that you have available to you. You have the organization as a whole is data driven. Uh, where you have actuarial uh, people out there who are really very much looking and analyzing information. I think if you're interested in being data-driven and understanding what you're trying to do and how you can then apply that in other places, insurance would be be an interesting place. I would say the other thing that is nice 
I didn't start an insurance, but I've appreciated that there's a little bit more money you can spend in an acquisition for a customer. I laughed to what I used to have for some of the uh, from some of our restaurant brands of what we could spend in an acquisition that's in there. So if you're also looking to, you know, from a tech standpoint, you want to be cutting edge on top of, you know, what's the latest and greatest and who are some of the leaders that are in there. Um, it, it helps to be with a vertical that can spend a little bit more money that has a little bit of a longer term view that's in there. And I think that's another benefit to it, I would say. I mean, besides like we all want it. I mean, everybody, when they had like some campaign they were trying to do in, in school, everybody chose insurance, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like a unique challenge for those, you know, looking for that, you know, I mean, like, you know, marketing Apple products is like, you know, talk about a, a layup, right? Right. Some are a little bit easier than others, but, you know, we all have challenges no matter what in, in, in our business. Any open roles on your team or in the organization you want to call out? No, but, you know, always keep your eye out because there is growth and expansion that, that's happening and, and opportunities. I can't think of anyone in particular that people are always happy to reach out if they're curious. All right. Well, let's do a, a few on the lightning round. Just going to throw out a, a topic and get a, you know, one word, one sentence response to it. Let's start with influencer marketing. Yeah, I think it's great. We had some fun doing stuff with NILs as soon as uh, college students came out. And it was just, I think it's a really fun, exciting thing to do. Again, it's a little bit harder to use an influencer for something like insurance, but we have tried to find some and something we continue to work at. I think it's a great thing moving forward though. I love about, that. Um, AI powered marketing. Yeah. Uh, scares me. To be honest, it does to a a certain extent. I think if you do it from a quoting way to be able to get in there, it could be from a service standpoint. Again, regulations keep some of that stuff tough. And the final one is Generation Z. What's the age of Generation Z? I think they're just starting to emerge into our- Yeah, they're just starting to enter the workforce and like down to, you know, I don't know, like 10 years old, something like that. Yeah, it's a little young for us for what we're doing right now. I might have some of them in my house exactly. uh, <laughs> that, yep. that run around, which is awesome because it does, as we mature as marketers, it's great to have little focus groups that you have within and, and the ways that your kids are using things to see what their friends are doing. And that's really amazing that you think about influencers and, and the way that they impact that. We'll be happy to service them when they hit the right age. Yeah, I'd have to say like 99% of what I know about TikTok is for my kids. Right. And as parents, stay on top of what your kids are doing. Yeah, exactly. Well, David Schwartz, thanks so much for joining us on Clicks to Bricks. This has been a great first interview in the insurance vertical. Yeah, I'm glad we finally got to do this. And, you know, kids get out there and become insurance marketers. It's the cool thing to do. (laughs) It might be the lucrative thing to do. But uh, yeah, thanks, David. All right. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it on LinkedIn and to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter at clickstobricks.fm for exclusive content and previews of upcoming shows. I'm your host, Rob Reed, and this is Clicks to Bricks, a podcast about multi-location marketing. Mm-hmm.